Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're with us again here today. I want to give a special shout out this morning to two people that are well-loved at North River. Bill and Carolyn Broom are celebrating their 60th anniversary on September 1st. And I know this will surprise them, but uh, we wanted to celebrate with them. wanted you to know that as well. Uh, join me in a prayer before we dive into this morning's message. Father God, thank you for the opportunity that we have at this time to begin to experiment with how we come back together over the next few weeks. And thank you for the technical opportunities that allow us to present our service online the way that we have. Thank you for the teams that are involved every weekend in pulling together all the details and, and making this possible. We are very, very grateful for the fact that you are not limited by anything that's going on in this world. We recognize your greatness and your power and your sovereignty. We thank you for the unintended blessings or the unexpected blessings that have come during this time, for more time at home, more time with our families, perhaps a bit more sleep, for a change of pace, for a discovery that we can move forward with new technological advances and we can discover new ways to present the gospel and to even to meet together during this time. We also recognize that there are negative aspects of the season that we are in. We're tired. People are frustrated. And many people feel isolated or even abandoned during this time. Thank you for the fact that through your Holy Spirit, you are able to be present with each and every one of us, no matter where we are, whether we are with a family or a group or alone, that your Spirit is able to connect with us and to allow us to experience not only the indwelling of Christ, but the overwhelming experience of the very God of heaven. And we pray that during these next few weeks that you will allow us to call on your Spirit even more to connect us, to unite us, to allow us to have that great sense of your overwhelming, reckless love and of the power of your reach into our lives. We pray that you will continue to bring healing and hope into our lives, that we will conquer the experiences that hold us back, that we will continue to experience your grace and be able to give grace to people all around us who, who need that extra touch at this time of knowing that you are a God who continues to fill our lives, that you are a God who doesn't hold us uh, to the record of the past, but you see us as who we are becoming, and you champion that, and, and you long to see us as the completed projects. Thank you for never, ever giving up on any one of us or for abandoning us even when we feel like we've been abandoned. And Lord, I pray that as we continue forward this morning. You will celebrate with the brooms, that you will also surround folks like Thelma Noth, who's recovering from surgery, and that you will allow each of us to have a sense of where we fit in your mission and what difference we can make each and every day. Now we pray for the illumination that comes from your Holy Spirit as we look into your Word, as we pick it apart, and as we try to discern nuggets of wisdom that help us to go forward today and through this next week. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Dr. Nate Hoffman had a lot of things going for him. 
He was a theology professor at Dallas Seminary, loved the Lord and loved his family. But Nate had been going through one of those years, the kind of year when everything goes from bad to worse. You know what I'm talking about in this season? Nate and his wife were grieving over the devastating loss of a child. And while they were still reeling from that loss, his wife had been going through rather severe health problems, which led to having surgery on a fragmented vertebrae in her back. Somehow, that whole combination got to Nate. It was enough to put him in a downward spiral. He remembers at one point begging his wife to divorce him. He remembers huddling in the shower, crying because he was afraid that he was on the path toward becoming a terrible person. He later wrote, Rather than becoming conformed to the image of Christ, I felt like I was moving in the opposite direction. Unquote. As he sat in the waiting room while his wife was in surgery, his mind became filled with dark thoughts. And on the next day, when his wife came home from the hospital, something inside of Nate snapped. He told her, I don't know what is happening to me. And then he said that he would not be coming into the house with her because his mind was filled with these dark thoughts. He couldn't shake this overwhelming sense that his life had become a colossal failure. And as he sat in his car alone, he called a friend. He asked that the friend and his wife would look after his wife over the next few days and maybe weeks, and then asked the friend to drive him to the hospital. And within a few hours, the hospital staff concurred that something was wrong. Police were called, and Nate was checked into a mental health facility. He allowed his story to be recorded in a book by Ken Boa and Jenny Abel called Shaped by Suffering, and also in a video interview. Now think about this. Nate was a longtime Christian and even a seminary professor, and he could not shake this profound sense of despair that had taken over his thoughts. He had convinced himself that the world would be better off if he was not here. Despair is defined in the dictionary as the complete loss or absence of hope. Every once in a while, there are people around us who experience that sense of profound despair where all hope is taken away. Sometimes around here, we've described it as having the hope kicked out of you. My question this morning is, does the Bible offer any hope for the person who finds himself or herself lost in a season of despair? So I want to say good morning to you. I am so glad that you're here with us today at North River Church. Our topic today is hope when you feel abandoned. It's part three of this series that we started a few weeks ago called Finding Hope in Troubled Times. People in every season of life need hope, and especially now after five and a half months of living in this COVID-19 exile. So we're going to talk about steps toward restoring hope when despair has taken over. Let me offer you just a few general thoughts, first of all, on despair and abandonment. The first is that the Bible includes stories of people who are caught in despair. You may be surprised about that, thinking the Bible only includes stories of, of people who have great victories and great triumphs. And yet, when you look a little bit closer, there are a number of people who went through some very dark times who are very prominent in the Bible. Like Elijah, the prophet who burned out from serving alone in a time of spiritual warfare. Or Hannah, a woman who was so distraught over her inability to conceive a child that a priest mistook her sobbing prayer as evidence that she was drunk in the worship center. 
Or consider Jonah, a prophet who so despaired over the Lord's mercy toward Israel's enemies that he tried to run away from God and from his assignment as a prophet. And then we come to King David, a king of Israel whose life encountered not only traumatic highs, but also such profound lows that he wrote a, wrote a handful of psalms that we're going to look at today, especially Psalm 13. Whether you know it or not, about a third of the psalms express a note of despair. They are written by people who are in pain. Craig Grushel, the pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma, wrote about this. He said, I believe putting God into an easy-to-explain box is not only unwise but dangerous. To really know God, you have to wrestle through pain, struggle with honest doubts, and even live with unanswered questions. That's in his book called Hope in the Dark. So we're looking at Psalm 13 this morning, and Psalm 13 expresses these thoughts. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. The second note I want to share with you is that David wrote this psalm when he felt abandoned. Biblical scholars, especially of the Old Testament, cite two times when David was filled with despair when he may have written this particular psalm. The first came when David was on the run because King Saul wanted to kill him. The second occasion came when David's own son Absalom led a rebellion. In the first of those situations, David had been anointed by Samuel the prophet as the future king of Israel. There was just one prophet. Saul was still the living and reigning king, and he was powerful. The story of David's anointing is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and David was still a teenager. If you are young and tempted to think that your life doesn't matter to God, go back and read this story and think again. God was moving in David's life when he was perhaps 13, 14, or 15 years old. Age doesn't matter nearly as much to God as does the condition of your heart. And God is always watching and looking. On two occasions after David had been anointed, Saul attempted to kill David, so he spent years on the run as an exile. At one point, David fell into the hands of the Philistine king, and he even pretended to be insane. It is thought that it's during this season when Saul was trying to kill David that he wrote Psalm 13 with this great question of how long, O Lord? Later on, David was temporarily chased out of Jerusalem by his own son, Absalom. Absalom had visions of grandeur fueled by a sense of entitlement, and he put together some soldiers and leaders who betrayed David and literally sent David and his closest advisors fleeing the city for their lives, and he was in great anguish. It's also possible that David wrote Psalm 13 during that time. There are three phases of restoring hope that David expresses for us in Psalm 13. I'd like to break them down for you. Here's the first one. Define your despair. He starts off in the first two verses of this song. 
How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Can you hear the despair in these first two verses? One commentator calls this a song in the midst of the darkness. It is an individual lament, it's very personal, where David pours out his despair to God. This, this first section of the psalm is dominated by a fourfold repetition of the theme, how long? David feels forgotten, so he says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? David then feels abandoned, and he says, how long will you hide your face from me? God wasn't hiding, but David felt he was. David is inwardly troubled, and he says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And David felt like a failure. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, the fuller story of David's life informs us that God never, ever abandoned David, yet David's circumstances led him to this strong, unshakable feeling, the feeling that he had been abandoned. The Lord allowed David to go through hard times during those early years, and we come to see that the Lord was shaping his character all throughout this time. That realization doesn't discount the enormity of David's despair or the reality of it either. In these two verses, David does something, though, that instructs us. He defined his despair. He wrote out what he was feeling, and he put those feelings into a psalm. David was also a musician. He played the harp, a stringed instrument. That meant that this was a song that he set to music in order to work out his despair. Now, David wrote about half of the psalms that are recorded in the Bible, and several of them started with laments like this one. David, on a regular basis, would write out his thoughts when he was troubled, and then he would turn those thoughts into a psalm and a song that he would offer to God. When you find yourself struggling with, dis with despair or abandonment or loss of hope, step one is to define your despair. Find a way to write down what you are feeling, record it in a journal, turn it into something that you can look at later, and you will find that when the Lord answers and He lifts you out of that place, you can go back and look at it and say, oh wow, I didn't realize how profound that was, and look at what the Lord has done for me now. Define your despair. This is probably a good point to introduce to you the, the, the main idea behind this morning's message. Hope returns to those who cry out for light in despair and who dare to sing God's praises in the darkness. And we're going to see that theme come back again. Here's the second phase of restoring hope that David talks about. Turn your despair into prayer. And so verses 3 and 4 take us deeper into not only the psalm, but deeper into David's thinking. He writes, Look on me and answer, Lord my God, Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So David now moves from despair to a prayer request directed to the Lord. This is David's next step of moving toward hope before hope even arrives. David makes three requests. First he says, look on me, Lord. He is asking the Lord God to focus his attention on David's life and on his situation. 
For God to turn his face towards someone is the equivalent of blessing him or her. It is a request that is built on the belief that God is good. If he will just focus his attention on this problem, God will do what is right. Think of the ironic blessing when Aaron was told to, to pray this blessing over people. And in the midst of that blessing, he says, Lord, turn your face on us. Turn your countenance on us. That is in effect knowing the blessing of God when God shines his face and his attention on you. And so David says, look on me, Lord. His second request is, answer my prayer, Lord. Often that is what we, meet, we need most, an answer from the Lord one way or the other. So David is longing to, to know that the Lord is still watching over him and listening. David longs to know if that relief is coming, that it's on its way. His enemies are triumphing over him at the moment, and this is the source of his despair. We are never in control of when the Lord will answer our prayers or how the Lord will answer, but the first step in having our trust in the Lord restored is to turn things over to him. And when we give them over to him, they're no longer ours, they are his. And there's a relief when the burden is given away. When David asks him to answer, David is turning his troubles over to the Lord and he is giving them away to the Lord in a way so that he will not carry them in quite the same manner. And then David's third request comes, give light to my eyes, Lord. In the Bible, light is often associated with truth and understanding and insight. In Psalm 119, verse 105, David wrote, your word is a map to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Sometimes we need more light from God in order to see more clearly about our own lives. Think of, of how God sent Jesus into the world to give us light, to be that light, and also to bring us into the light. What a great prayer to offer when you are trapped in a season of darkness. Give light to my eyes, Lord. Pray that prayer and then watch and wait. He will. Hope returns to those who cry out for light in despair and who dare to sing God's praises in the darkness. And then there was a third step to David's process that he writes about here. Dare to sing praise in the darkness. Let's return to Nate Hoff's story for a moment. On the first day in the mental facility, a visitor came to see him, and he was surprised. It was his wife, only one day out of the hospital after surgery on her back on that vertebrae. He noticed that she was carrying something in her hand, and it was Nate's Bible. She didn't preach to him. She didn't challenge him to read the whole Bible during that time. She simply asked him to read and meditate on two verses that come from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. They read this way, Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Nate wrote that he read those verses and repeated them over and over and over for the next several days. And little by little, as he reflected on the Lord's mercies and how they are new every morning and on the Lord's faithfulness, he began to be able to see the Lord's blessings again. He realized that the Lord had been with him at every step of the way. And each morning, 
brought a, brought a little bit more clarity, a little bit more light, and a little bit more refreshing to his soul. That is exactly what David reveals to us in the final two verses of Psalm 13. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. The ability to trust in the Lord is restored as we, re we rejoice in the bedrock truths of God's word. It's why we need to do this about every seven days and have our internal beings recalibrated by the freshness of praises that come from the heart. Something profound happens when we praise God in those moments. God's Word is already on our hearts and on our minds. This is one reason why we all need to commit key verses of Scripture to memory. And as we do this, those words begin to work in our thoughts and in our thinking. And this prepares us for those days of trouble. David became the master of singing his songs in the midst of the darkness. This doesn't mean that we should not seek medical help in seasons of deep despair or in times of depression. Nate Hoff's example is one where medical help and also God's Word can work together. But there's something profound that happens when we sing praises to God, even in the darkest chapters of life. It's one of the reasons why we need to keep meeting together every Sunday. It's one of the reasons why we long to get back together again when we can. Because something happens to us when we're in the presence of other people who are singing for joy to God no matter what the circumstances are all around us. Hope returns to those who cry out for light in despair and who dare to sing God's praises in the darkness. It's one of the most profound truths that we find all through Scripture. Think of Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail as they were singing at midnight having been beaten and whipped and yet praising God for His goodness in the midst of that. It's one of the most profound, memorable stories of the entire New Testament. One great contemporary example of this comes from U2's song just simply called 40. Sometimes this is known as 40 slash how long. During a long recording session in 1983, the band realized that their album was one song short Bono, the lead singer, had been reflecting on Psalm 40, written by David. Psalm 40 calls on the Lord to come quickly to save us, that those who seek on the Lord will rejoice and sing to Him. So David calls on the Lord to help and deliver him and to not delay. Bono coupled those thoughts with Psalm 13's cry of how long. For several years, you too would close their concerts with this song. In his own way, Bono was teaching youth 2 fans to cry out to God no matter their religious background or if they even had a religious background. Here are some of the lyrics from that song. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? He goes on to another verse. You set my feet upon a rock. You made my footsteps firm. Many will see, many will see and hear. I will sing a new song. I will sing, I will sing a new song. How long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? And one by one, the band members would leave the stage, first Bono and then other members of the band, while the crowd would continue to sing this refrain, 
How long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? Can you imagine that? 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 people who've come to a rock concert are singing from the Psalms because Bono was instructing them of what to do in times of dark despair, to sing praises to God no matter who you are or where you're at in your spiritual journey. So I have a question for you. As you're watching and listening today, is it time for you to cry out to the Lord? Is it time for you to define your despair or to cry out for light in the midst of darkness? Is it time to dare to sing praise in the darkness of this season? Jesus is God's light in the midst of our dark times. Hope returns to those who cry out for light in despair and who dare to sing God's praises in the midst of the darkness. If God has been moving you, it's time for you to pray and to cry out to Him. And I'm going to give you some words for, for you to pray with me. Wherever you are, just stop for a moment, whether you pray silently or say them out loud. Let's pray these thoughts together. Lord, in this season of darkness, I will cry out to you. Look on me, Lord. Answer my prayer. Send light to my eyes, Lord. Until I hear your answer, I will wait and trust you. And I will dare to sing your praises in the darkness. If you just ask the Lord to save you, click the button on your screen. Let us know. Better yet, send me an email at paul at northriverchurch.org. I'd like to find out from you what God is teaching you during this time. On your screen, if that button comes up that says, I give my life to Jesus, Click that button. Take that first step in making that known and making that public. Let me pray as we wrap up this message. Father God, I pray for those who have been moved in some way to respond to you. And I ask that you will look on them with great care and great intensity. That you will answer our prayers. That you will bring light and understanding into our lives. And that the light of your presence, the light of your truth will bring joy into our lives. Walk with us, restore us, make us stronger, make us wiser, make us more full of your spirit as we dare to sing your praises even in a season of darkness. And restore hope in everyone's heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to thank you for the way that you have been giving faithfully and supporting North River Church. You can continue your giving right now by clicking the Give button that's found in the, in the box on your screen, in the, in the chat box or in the notes section. Or you can quickly and easily pick up your phone and text North River CC to this number, 77977. And then follow the prompts, and that will get you started on being able to give through a digital means. Or you can go to our website, northriverchurch.org, and click on the Give button. It'll take you to something that's already set up for all of that. Of course, you can use your own bank's online bill pay, and you could always mail a check to North River Church, 
334 Old Oak Street, Pembroke, Mass., 02359. Thank you for supporting our church. Thank you for carrying out the mission wherever you are and wherever you go this week. May God bless you. May God hear your cries when you say, How long, O Lord, send light.